You are listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. Though located in the heart of the Silicon Valley, you will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival preaching from the pulpit of North Valley Baptist Church. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. Take your Bible, turn to Psalm 125. Tonight, thank you for that good song. You know, there's some songs that'll be popular for a while and they'll last and they'll be played for a year, maybe two years, maybe even five or ten years. And then there's some songs that are just like that one. And they're kind of timeless. They just last. And that's because the truth of the song. And it's been sung by how many different singers? We don't know. But every time it's sung, it rings true in the heart of somebody who's saved. Because we can testify and say, that's right. God is faithful. And everything that we need, God provides it. He might not provide it on our timeline, but he always provides it on time. And I'm glad our God is faithful. That almost make a Baptist shout on Wednesday night with inflated jump houses and whatever else is out there. Man, I almost can have church anyway. There's sometimes you just don't preach, and I know that. It's just hard. I've been asked to preach a lot of different places, and they'll say, now, Brother Cooper's going to preach, and then we're going to have a church-wide meal. That's a waste. Why do we do that? Because what they do is they go in the back and cook the food during the service, and then the smell kind of wafts into the auditorium while you're preaching, and everybody looks at you like they're mad at you for preaching, and they ask you to come. And that's hard to do. And uh, I feel like that's this way, too. We have the inflatables already inflated. When I walked out of my office and saw that, I didn't even want to come to church. I thought, man, let's just go jump, you know? And I think it's all right. I think it's all right that we extend out Fourth of July an extra day. Because people do that with Christmas lights all year. <laughs> have you noticed that? Now, I thought I was a redneck until I moved here. But y'all have more Christmas lights out year-round than we did. Come on now. I mean, you have them on your house all year round. Now, we do that. We, do you have them? Anyway, we, we did that back home, too. Those trailers would have Christmas lights all year round, but they're the different color ones, you know. And some of them would be burnt out, and they'd have them wrapped around old tires and toilets in the front yard. And it really looked nice. I mean, I really liked it. Uh, I got an email today from somebody, and uh, it made me think of that. And it was kind of a racist email. And uh, I don't know if it's because it's Fourth of July or whatever, but they said, I thought this would be for you. And it said, it was one of those, you might be a redneck emails. That'd be like me seeing, sending Brother Martinez, you might be Mexican email or whatever, you know. But uh, it said, you might be a redneck. Here's what it said. It said, you might be a redneck if you take a fishing pole to SeaWorld. And I thought about that, and I thought, you know what? That's actually not a bad idea. <laughs> because there's fish there at SeaWorld and big ones, too. Now, this one really happened. It said, you might be a redneck if you have to hit the dashboard of your truck to get the light to turn on. Right now, my air conditioning fan makes a weird noise, and it doesn't work. But every time it does, I do that just because it's genetic. I don't know. Here's some, it said, you, you, now I've never done this. It said, you might be a redneck if you ever barbecued spam on the grill. That sounds more Filipino than redneck to me. This one would drive you crazy, Pastor. It said, you might be a redneck if you can't tell what color your car is because it's so dirty. Wouldn't that bother you? I like this one, and I'm guilty of this. You might be a redneck if you use the term over yonder more than once a month. I use that a lot. I like this one. You might be a redneck if you think beef jerky and moon pies are two of the major food groups. And if you don't know what moon pies are, then you are at a high disadvantage. I like this one, and I've done this. You might, it's live stream. You might be a redneck if you ever shot a deer from inside your house. Yeah. Here's one. The first words, if you might be a redneck, get the first words out of your mouth every time you see your friends or hi, y'all. How you doing? I'm guilty. I did that tonight. 
Uh, let me give you a couple more, and I'll, I'll just tell you the reason why. I, 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 I thought about Brother Moore. You might be a redneck if you have to ask your daddy to borrow the tractor keys for your first date. Yeah. I thought about Brother Moore. Where are you at, Brother Moore? Yeah. And here's, you might be a redneck if your lifetime goal is to own a fireworks stand. <laughs> Where we come from, you can have fireworks. I don't mean like sparklers. Last night we lit sparklers and they thought that was real fireworks. I'm talking about the stuff that can blow your mail. Well, I hear it can blow a mailbox off the post of an unsuspecting elderly family. I mean, we, we would shoot bottle rockets at each other for fun. You've never lived until you've done that. I'm talking about America. That's what it is. I remember one year, we would always go to 4th of July at my grandparents' house in West Virginia. And every year, uh, he'd fire off his muzzle loader at dark, you know, for... for and I don't know how many people we killed. Nobody does. But that we do, that's, that's what we do, 4th of July. But my uncle lived in the Carolinas, and he could buy the good fireworks. I'm talking about the stuff you've got to smuggle in across the border. I mean, the real stuff. And we'd set them off. And, and you see my uncle. He's only got uh, three and a half fingers. And th- but anyway, uh, we'd, we'd set those things off. And I remember one year, uh, he had a stack of fireworks. You'd spend $1,000 on those things in a hurry. But there was one that was about as big around as a small child, and it just said Big Bertha on it. And we're just looking at that thing all day long as little kids thinking, man, I can't wait till he sets off Big Bertha. You know, I don't see that thing go off and bang, and you know, just, sorry about that, Jason, wake up, wake up. It just blow that thing up. We, we set off all these smaller fireworks. I've got a cousin who has Down syndrome, and she's like the greatest member of our family. And you never know what she's going to say. And uh, she was excited about it, but scared to death of fireworks. You know, every time there's a loud bang, she's scared to death. And my uncle, he snuck up to that big, big berth, and he lit that thing uh, with a grill lighter. Don't judge. But anyway, he, he lit that thing, and it began to burn down so slow. I mean, it was like time stood still. We just watched that thing burn down. The anticipation was rising. It was just like, you know, the birds quit flapping in mid-flap, and bees quit buzzing in mid-buzz, and just time stood still. We were scared. We had, seriously, we had the, the tables flipped over, hiding behind it, like bunkered in behind it, because we just knew that thing was going to blow a car away or something like that. And that thing burnt down so slow. Finally, the wick fizzled down into the thing, and nothing came out but smoke. And then after a couple of minutes, streamers popped out the top. And that's all that it was. He hung his head down. And my little, my little cousin, she's older now, but Down syndrome, looked at him and said, I thought there'd be more to it than that. <laughs> I, never th- I kind of feel that way about the message tonight. I'm afraid you're going to be, I thought there'd be more to it than that. But I want to watch you eat hot dogs and jump. So we're going to hurry up. Psalm 125. Look with me here. There's five verses in this psalm. It's a great psalm. And it's the Word of God, and every Word of God is powerful and pure, and it's for our edification, and I want God to speak to us tonight. Psalm 125 and verse number 1, I want you to see what the Bible says. They that trust in the Lord shall be as Mount Zion, which cannot be removed, but abideth forever. As the mountains are round about Jerusalem, so the Lord is round about His people, from henceforth even forevermore. For the rod of the wicked shall not rest upon the lot of the righteous, lest the righteous put forth their hands unto iniquity. Do good, O Lord, unto those that be good, and to them that are upright in their hearts. As for such as turn aside unto their crooked ways, the Lord shall lead them forth with the workers of iniquity. But peace shall be upon Israel. If you read the psalm, there are two really emphasized points in the psalm, and both points are our possession and our promise, and I believe our privilege. 
And these are two things that this psalmist lives by that I believe gives him a sense of security and confidence regardless of the circumstances that he finds himself in. If you look at the top half of the psalm, it emphasizes having faith in God. If you look at the bottom of the psalm, it emphasizes prayer to God. And faith and prayer really are the two stabilizing forces that enable the Christian to navigate this life and cross the finish line into a better life in the presence of God. As this man is pilgrimaging through life, he does it by faith and he does it by prayer. I can remember when I was a kid watching my grandpa pray. We called our grandpa, we called him Papa. But I remember watching him pray. Papa grew up in the Great Depression and a very poor family. He had 11 brothers and sisters and his mother and father, and they lived in a one-room cabin in Boone County, West Virginia. In Boone County, West Virginia, I always say that's where they pump the moonshine out and the sunshine in. That is way back there in the hills. And they grew up in this kind of a, of a cabin where you could look down through the cracks in the floor and see the chickens running underneath the floor. And our family still has that property back there even today. But they grew up poor, and because of that, Papa learned how to pray by watching his mother pray. And he said there were times when we didn't have groceries and mom would pray the groceries in. And she prayed like she needed God to do something for her. Prayer mixed with faith is a powerful thing. And faith mixed with prayer is a powerful thing. And I remember going to Papa's house and he'd be praying and every meal, they would eat every meal, like a big full meal. That's kind of old school, isn't it? They always thought we had eating disorder because we didn't want to eat, you know, five meals a day with steak and potatoes and things like that. They thought, you all don't ever eat. And that's all they did was eat and drink coffee all day long. But I remember we'd sit there. It didn't matter what we were having. If it was peanut butter and jelly or if it was a T-bone steak, Papa would get to pray and he'd say, Oh, God, our precious, loving Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for this bountiful plate of spaghetti and meatballs that we have before. And he'd just pray and get a hold of God in prayer. But I could tell he really believed that God had provided, what, what she's saying about God had provided the food on his table. I want us to think about that, a song of security, faith and prayer. God, I pray that you'd help us tonight. Speak to our hearts in this time we have together. Be with our fellowship, too. Thank you for that privilege we have to be together tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Psalm 125 is the sixth step up the staircase in the Psalms of Degrees. Now, the Psalms of Degrees are also called the Psalms of Ascent, and they are literally songs to sing as you go up into the presence of God. Now, if we would look back, and I won't take all the time, but go back and review the Psalms we've already studied, Psalm 120 and following, we have seen these songs reveal the discomfort of a pilgrim living in this world. You and I who are saved should not feel at ease, at home, or comfortable in this world. In fact, if we get comfortable, we will be a casualty. We ought to be discomforted by the things that happen in society around us. I'm glad God can give us peace and God can provide that stability that we'll talk about, but we should never get accustomed, is what I mean, to the culture and the system of this world. We can look back and see the desire of the pilgrim to dwell in the presence of God. He's got a longing. I believe it was pastor that preached as that heart pants after the water brook. This pilgrim longs to dwell in the place where God is worshipped. 
And that ought to be the case with you and I. You and I ought to feel the most at home in the house of God. You know, it ought to be the house of God that we have as the desire of our heart. I can't wait to get there, worship with those people, and lift up the God that we all serve and love together. We can look back and see another thing, the dependence of the pilgrim upon the help of the Lord. We find out where his help comes from. His help doesn't come from below. His help comes from above. His help comes from the Lord. Now, here in Psalm 125, this is a song only a saint can sing. This is not a song for an unregenerate individual. This is not something a lost individual can sing. Only you and I who have been redeemed and know God as our God can sing this song. The theme of this psalm is confidence in God. And the two pillars that hold up our confidence are the pillars of faith and prayer. Now, let me say this tonight. I believe faith and prayer are inseparable things. You do not have faith without prayer. And you will not pray without having faith. And both of these things are powerful and they are promised to the child of God. When you and I were saved, God gave you and I a measure of faith. And that gift of faith that dwells within you and I enables us to live a life that is pleasing to God. Because the Bible said that without faith, it is impossible to please Him. It is not that you and I are less capable without faith. It is that we are totally unable to please God without faith. We are to live by faith and not by sight. You say, well, what is faith? Faith is dependence. Faith is reliance. Faith is trust in God. When I think about faith, I think about trusting in God's ability. It is me acknowledging that though I do not know and though I am un uh, unable, I believe God has the ability to make a way and see it through and bring the victory. What I like about faith is I don't have to have a plan. I don't have to know step number two. I don't have to have any kind of assurance or insurance policy. I can just step out on the unknown, trusting in an unknown God, and by his word claim the promise that if I live by faith, God will bring the victory. God is pleased when we live by faith because faith takes our strength out of the equation, lets our weakness lean on his omnipotence, and he gets all the glory. Amen. Faith is trusting. Faith is ability. Faith is God in control. Prayer is different. Prayer is not trusting so much as talking to God because you trust him. Prayer tells me this. God is not just able, but thank God he's available. God's not just in control, but thank God he cares. That'd be one thing to have a great big God up in heaven who sits on a throne, who is in control and sovereignly king over all of creation and then beyond. That's one thing. But it goes to a higher degree when you understand that that God who upholds everything by the word of his power not only has the power to uphold it all, but he has the compassion and care for you and I to look in on our needs and he lends his ear our direction, inclines his ear unto us whenever we have a need in prayer. Isn't that a blessing? You might know some busy people and you've got to make an appointment to see them. Aren't you glad we don't have to make an appointment or get on God's calendar to get into his office? All you have to do is humble your heart, which you won't do without faith. But in faith, you humble your heart and you go to your heavenly father, cry out, Abba, Father. And he says, welcome home, my child. Come on into the living room, sit down, and let's talk a while. And whatever's on your heart gets on his heart. And God wants to hear us when we pray. 
Whenever we live by faith and in that mindset of prayer, we can have confidence as we traverse life. If you study your Bible, there's a lot of statements in the scripture that testify of the saints' sense of security, even in unsecure circumstances. I think about Genesis 22, when Abraham and Isaac are going up Mount Moriah. This is faith in action. This is depending on God. This is a life of prayer. As they go up that mountain, and Isaac looks around and says, well, we got a pile of wood. We got, the, we got the fire. We got everything we need. He said, but where's the lamb? Here is faith in action. This is security in an unsecure circumstance. Abraham says, God will. That's a good phrase right there. God will provide himself and there's no way he should have had that confidence or that comfort. He should not have been that uh, under control with his emotion. But faith enabled him to do that. It gave him stability in an unstable circumstance. I think about David. David showed up to the Valley of Elah. And you know the story's been told so many times. But the soldiers were scared to death because of Goliath. Goliath is standing there very daunting, very intimidating. They don't want anything to do with him. But I like what David said. He said, who is that dog out there? He said, who is he to defy our God? He said, he's a big target. I think we can take him down. And David stepped out. Why? Because he had faith in God. A very insecure and unstable circumstance, but he has security. Mordecai, the same way. Whenever uh, the nation of Israel was doomed to be wiped off the face of earth, yet he looked at Esther and said, God's got a purpose for your life. Who knows? Maybe you came to the kingdom for such a time as this. What gives a Christian, a believer, security and insecurity? It is faith that God has got it under control, and it is the knowledge that I can pray and give God the need or burden, desire on my heart, and he can meet the need. I think with those three Hebrew children in a fiery furnace, I like what they said before they got tossed in. They didn't say it after they got God out. After they got God out. You might be a redneck. But anyway, they, they didn't say it after the fact. They said it before the fact. A lot of Christians got a good testimony after. They got a pretty bad testimony before and during. Well, I just tell you, God's grace was sufficient. Yeah, not whenever you were complaining, quitting church, and doing everything else during the middle of it. Uh, but anyway, I like what they said before. They looked at that furnace. It was heated up seven times hotter, like some of your grills were yesterday when you burnt your burgers. And, and they looked, and they said, it doesn't matter. They said, if we're going to get thrown in the fire, it's okay. Our God is able to deliver us. You see, what gave them security in that insecure circumstance? It was faith in God and knowing that they could take their need to that God. Elijah was the same. Elijah came out of the wilderness. Obadiah was there. Uh, he was working for the wrong team and he said I'm here to see Ahab and he said well if I go to Ahab you're gonna you're gonna get lifted off in the spirit and go somewhere else he said no I want to see Ahab so he goes back and tells Ahab he said Ahab Elijah's Elijah's back and Ahab said oh oh my goodness go get go get Jezebel you know and he goes and he says Jezebel you gotta help me I want you gotta protect me here Elijah's back and she goes no I'm gonna extend the leash and let you go out there and anyway, so Ahab goes out. They have a contest on Mount Carmel. You know the story. But Elijah prays that simple little prayer and says, hey, listen, God, if you're God, would you, just, would, you just, would you just hear my prayer? And he has faith in a very insecure situation. Same thing with that widow woman who said, it is 
well, her child being dead. Same thing with Paul, who, who said, nevertheless, the Lord stood by me. He said, I am persuaded that he's able to keep that which I've committed on him against that day. Here's a good Bible verse for you, and I'll, I'll give you a few points we'll be through. Proverbs 28.1, the wicked flee when no man pursueth, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. In Psalm 121 in verse 3, remember we covered it, he said, he will not suffer thy foot to be moved. He that keepeth thee will not slumber. Psalm 118 in verse 6, the Lord is... At is on my side. I do will not fear what man can do unto me. And so here it is. This puts the Christian at stark contrast with the unbeliever. The unbeliever lives in constant uncertainty and in constant fear. They have no stability. They have no anchor to keep them at bay. They have nothing to keep their life from being tossed to and fro, clouds uh, blown about with a tempest. No, their life is that. Our life is not that way. Why? Because we have faith and we have prayer. There is no magic bean. I'm sorry, there is no like cute little 10-step program. There is no book I can mass produce and say, if you wear this shirt or that bracelet, you'll get this. And no, it's not that. It is bedrock Bible Christianity. If you want stability in destabilizing seasons, then you've got to anchor your faith in God. I can trust Him. He is able. He's in control. And then utilize the power of prayer. He cares. He's available. And I can talk to Jesus anytime. John R. Rice said there's power in prayer. There's nothing deeper I can tell you than that. There is power in prayer. When you mix faith and prayer together, there's no wall that God can't knock down. There's no dilemma that God cannot solve. There is no situation that God cannot speak peace into. If you have faith in God and go to him as your father in prayer. Hallelujah. Anyhow, let me give you a few points. Number one, this security does some things for the believer. Look at verse number one. Number one, it will establish the believer. See what it says? They that trust in the Lord shall be as Mount Zion. Now look at the phrase, which might not be removed. Sorry, that's ESV. Which cannot. See what it says? A definite statement. It cannot be Removed, but by the way, that'd be a good lesson for every enemy of Israel to read, right? Mount Zion, which cannot be removed, but abideth forever. What this speaks of is the people of God will have such a security and a stabilizing essence to their life that they are likened unto Mount Zion, unto the mountain that Jerusalem, that city, has been founded upon. He said, just as impossible as it would be for the enemies of God to pick up and unroot and then take that mountain and toss it into the sea, so the people of God can be anchored in that way if they'll simply have faith in God. You and I should not be like a reed blown about by the wind and shaken with everything that comes in into our life. You and I can be fixed like a tree that is planted by the rivers of water. And though the wind blows and though the seasons change, our roots can go deep and our branches can spread out and we can stand against the onslaught, not because it's in and of us, but because we understand God's got it under control. And I can talk to him about what's going on in my life. You don't have to run around frantically, biting your nails to the quick and birthing ulcers in your belly and popping pills and drinking dry. Whatever. You don't have to do that. You 
can lay your head on your pillow at night and say, fear not dismay, whatever be tight, God will take care of you. I care not today what tomorrow may bring. He said, I know Jesus rules over everything. I'm living by faith and I feel no alarm. We don't have to be like the world. The world is always switching and running and trying new things because they find no peace. You and I have peace in the Lord. If our faith will just stay upon him. Oh my, establish, establish their stability to life. When you live life by faith, you might, you might feel nervous because God might put that faith to the test. But there's even stability in the testing. When your faith is anchored in God. All right, number one, it'll establish you. Number two, what does it do? There's an encompassing. Look at verse number two. As the mountains are round about Jerusalem, so the Lord is round about his people from henceforth forevermore. Here's some security for the pilgrim. Faith and prayer. Think about it. God is around his people. I think about a couple of things. First, I think about, like Jesus said, how a mother hen gathers her chicks. Have you ever seen that before? You ever seen, and they bring them in like this, and they put them under their wings. The Old Testament was about being in the shadow of his wings. It said, remember this, in uncertainty and in the circumstances of life, that God's got you covered. That'd be a good bumper sticker. God's got you covered. Anyway, just, he says, just bring it. Bring, he just brings you in. And then I think about if you ever go to like, like a, uh, the beach or something, they have the lifeguard stand, and there's one of those lifesavers. You know what that lifesaver does? Whenever somebody's drowning, you throw them the lifesaver, and it goes around them, and it keeps them from sinking. One of these days, Brother Lewis, I want to preach in a black church because I think they'd like me better. Man, I, I can really preach on that. You know what I mean? I just feel it right there. But you, you know what I mean? I just, just that lifesaver get around you. You know what I mean? I just get that lifesaver around you. And, and this when everything else is kind of falling out, it just keeps you from going under. That's what he's saying he'll do for his children. I know that you'd rather worry. I don't know why we like to worry. There's something about us we like to worry. We can say, God, I pray you'd give me peace. And if God gave us peace, we'd be mad about it. We like to have drama because we don't have anything to talk about if we don't have the drama. But I mean, what if God, that's what God does. You don't have to be talking and to and fro and flailing, trying to keep yourself above water. God said, I got you covered. I got you surrounded from henceforth to evermore. No matter what comes, I'm going to keep your head above water. Amen. There's an establishing. There's an encompassing. Now watch this. There's an insurance. I don't even know that's a word. I'm not talking about insurance. I'm talking about insurance. Like the old person drink, not like the stuff you buy for your car. Insurance. I don't know if that's a word or not, but insure is. It's a drink. But anyway, verse 3. Look what it says. Non-alcoholic. For the rod of the wicked shall not rest upon the lot of the righteous. Look what it says right there. You see what that says? Now, I didn't know what that, I didn't really understand it, just reading it, just like we often do with most of the Bible verses we read. So then I took time to study it. You know what that means? That you might get put under pressure, but the pressure is not eternal. There might be trouble, but it didn't come to stay. There might be heartache, even, now there's, no, not might. There's going to be tribulation and heartache because the Bible says that. But here's a good word for you. No trouble has eternal life. No valley has eternal life. No heartache has eternal life. No burden. I'm, 
if I can't encourage you with that, then you, you need something. I don't know what you need, but something. You need WD-40. You need something. No problem in your life has eternal life. What I mean is that which you are bogged down with today, probably a year from now, you won't even remember that. And if you remember it a year from now, I guarantee you're not going to remember it when you see Jesus face to face, see those nails cart hands and sing hallelujah with an angel band up in heaven. And here it is. I know it's hard in the moment, but thank God it's just a moment. The Bible phrase over and over, it came to pass. Thank God that is the truth of it. There are things we could all look back on and say that was going to sink me, that was going to do me in, that was the destruction, that was the end of the line. And then here we are tonight singing out amazing grace Great is thy faithfulness. God's been good. All that. Why? Because it's true that it might come, but it doesn't come to stay. The rod won't fall forever. Thank God he'll take it off of us. Let me give you one more and we'll go eat and jump. We're turning into one of those new evangelical churches now. We're going to eat and jump. I'm, we already did dancing in the service. All right, one more. I'm kidding. That was cool. I liked it. I just didn't partake. Now, one, one last part. Ex Brother Woodman, you didn't dance. He stood still. He's established. He's secure, all right? Or he's just a square. Is that the word? Anyway, all right, watch this. No, he's, he's not. The expectation. Look at the last part. Do good, O Lord, unto those that be good, and to them that are upright in their hearts. That's synonymous, those two phrases. What are you talking about? Your children. Those who are seeking after righteousness. This is the prayer portion of the psalm. He's saying, God, would you just remember us? So here's the expectation. When we live by faith and we utilize prayer, the expectation is, hey, if we're going to live for God, God lives for us. Isn't that a blessing? We love on God. God loves on us. He loves on us anyway, even if we don't. But he's especially good to his children when they try to do their best to honor and glorify him. He pours out his blessings upon them in a special way. And he said, God, would you just please do good to those that are trying to do good? And I like that. You know why? Because, listen, you and I can't control everybody else. And we can't even control all of Christianity. But we can control ourselves. And if nobody else wants to do good, and if nobody else wants to be upright in their heart, you and I can strive our best to be good and upright in our heart. And then we can confidently pray that prayer, God, I'm just trying. And you know me. I'm weak and I'm frail and I'm flesh and I fall and I fail you and I know that but God to the best of my ability I do want to bring honor to your name and God would you remember me you know what God does he said I like that I've got a son Lincoln Lincoln's not perfect I know that shocks you he walked down the hallway a little bit ago with a pair of youth conference sunglasses on opened my office door said get studying dad I said you punk he said you won't even be in the service <laughs> anyway but he messes up but I like it when he tries to do right it pleases me I don't expect perfection but I like it that he tries to. And that's what I'm saying. When you and I live by faith and prayer, we have this expectation. God's going to be good. And he already is good. But God will be good to those who try to bring him glory, I promise you. Remember that through life. There's two stabilizing forces that we have. They uphold confidence. There's two pillars that uphold that ceiling of confidence. Faith and prayer. And if we'll put those two forces together, faith and prayer, we can have security in an insecure world. Thank you for listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. For more information about our ministry or to find out how to get in contact with us, visit our website at nvbc.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week.